Okay. Shalom. And um, this week's class for the Torah portion of Ayeshev is titled One Nation Under God, Indivisible, Understanding Jewish Unity. And what I'm going to do right now is I am going to post the link for the, um, for the written notes so you can have it. You can follow along, read it later, and um, yeah, here it is, bingo. Oops, sorry, wrong thing. Okay, all right, let's jump right into it, and uh, we'll try to make this um, clear and short. So the modern-day issue to be dealt with. We always start with a modern-day issue because that's what the teaching of uh, Hasidus is all about. It's not about studying just the timeless and ancient, but rather to study the present. How can I take these mystical teachings and become a better person, a better father, a better mother, a better husband, a better wife, a better child, a better sibling, a better community member? Um, that's what it's really all about. So what is today's modern-day issue that we're going to talk about built on very Kabbalistic teachings. And it goes as follows. The Pledge of the Allegiance to the Flag of the United States of America reads, One Nation Under God Indivisible. While the Declaration of Independence declares that all men are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, America went through a very difficult journey in understanding the individuality of the states and the federal republic for which they stand. A journey that culminated with the Civil War. Oh, my God, I don't know why I'm being tongue-tied. Sorry, people. Since which that Civil War was fought and won, um, the Supreme Justice System peacefully declares which issues are designated for states to decide for themselves and which issues are for the federal government to decide for the entire union. So we have here the individuality. Here we're talking about the individuality of the states, and we're talking about the individuals being part of a greater whole, the union of all the states, the United States of America. In truth, this is one of the primary journeys of the United States of America to understand this as a union and as individual states as a nation built upon democracy to define the parameters in which the individual states stand alone and in which individual states stand part of a nation. In the democracy and the liberty of the individual, we do not deny that the individual is part of a whole nation with responsibilities and limitations of the indivi individual to the nation. And on the other hand, the nation does not define the entire definition, responsibilities, and liberties of the individual. For in democracy, the individual stands also as an island unto his own with total self-dominance. That's the way it is in democracy. Now, so too in Judaism, and especially so in Hasidus, there exist these two sides of one coin of the individual as a whole unto himself, while simultaneously being but part of a greater whole. Every Jew, on the one hand, 
is called an entire universe, olam male, olam la, unto himself, while on the other hand, the individual is called but a part of one complete floor, koma shlema, which is defined as that in every generation, the individuals of the generation are all part of one being, with each soul being another individual organ or limb, etc., of that one being. In this lecture, we are going to understand the relationship of one Jew to another in their individuality and in their unity. I always share with you where I take my teaching from. So this lecture is based primarily on a mimer, a mystical teaching of the Rebbe, which he delivered on the 19th of Kislev in 1969, exploring the mystical teachings concerning the Jews being scattered among the nations of the world. Okay, some introductions. Tuesday, December 17th, 2019, coincides with the 19th day of the Jewish calendar month, Kislev. This day is known as the Rosh Hashanah, the new year, the beginning of the year of Hasidus. It is the day that Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, known as the Alter Rebbe, was liberated from the Tsarist prison. So in the notes, you have it there, the link, you're going to have a link which is going to take you to the entire story of the arrest and the liberation of the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, the founder of Chabad Hasidus, Rav Shneir Zalman of Liadi. I'm going to just tell you in short that while physically the arrest manifested itself because the Alter Rebbe was being charged with high treason. How so? The Alter Rebbe took upon himself to fund his mentor and his mentor students that moved to the land of Israel. Now, those who lived in the land of Israel in those days, the people who dedicated themselves to studying Torah would do nothing but spirituality, and they would be supported by the diaspora. Now, the problem here is that at the time, the land of Israel was under the Ottoman Empire. The problem with that was that that was the era in which it was the Russian war against the Ottoman Empire, the Russian-Turkey War. Thus, when they snitched on the Alter Rebbe that he was sending money to people in the Ottoman Empire, Russia, the Tsar, treated it as high treason. That's how it happened physically. However, we were taught that nevertheless there was simultaneously an, another entire spiritual issue which was taking place. In order to understand that, I want to share with you the Alter Rebbe was arrested in this imprisonment for 53 days. If you want to know the exact dates, as it is in the Gregorian calendar, it was from Thursday, October 3rd to Tuesday, November 27th in 1798. Now this amount of days, 53, coincides directly with the amount of chapters to the Holy Book of Tanya, which the Alter Rebbe had just written and published two years prior. Thus, what happens here is that we are being taught from the spiritual sages that these 53 days, which coincide with the 53 days, with the 50, I'm sorry, with the 53 chapters of Tanya, was because of a spiritual dilemma, revealing mystical teachings, the secret mystical teachings of the Torah to the average layman causes in heaven a huge tribune. They want to know why 
is these mystical teachings being revealed to simple laymen who have not dedicated their entire life to spirituality, to God, to refinement, so forth and so on. Thus, until it was ruled in heaven that what the Alter Rebbe revealed was the right thing to do because it was a matter of spiritual life and death in the depths and darkness and difficulties of the exile, when they ruled that the Alter Rebbe did the right thing, that was when the Alter Rebbe was taken out of prison and with him he took his 53 chapters of Tanya out of the secrecy imprisonment and brought it to the average layman. Thus, on the day in which the heavenly court ruled that Hasidus could be taught, we declare that day as the Rosh Hashanah for Hasidus, the new year, the opening of the gateway for the teachings of Hasidus. Now, Every single year on the 19th of Kislev, since that year, a year later, 1789, um, what happened was, I'm sorry, did I say the right year? I may have just made a mistake, I'm sorry. Since the year 17, okay, what's going on here? 1799, I'm sorry. It happened in 1798, and the year later, 1799, since then, every single one of the Rebbe's, starting with the Alter Rebbe, then by his successors, all the way to our Rebbe, always delivered a Hasidic mimer explaining the different secrets of the teachings of Chabad Hasidus. However, in the year 1929, five days prior to Yutet Kislev, the 19th of Kislev, the Rebbe got married to the previous Rebbe's daughter. And that week, there was a, more than a week before the wedding, leading up to the wedding, at the wedding and after the wedding, the previous Rebbe was giving unbelievable Maimorim teachings in honor of the occasion, including on the 19th of Kislev. Forty years later, in 1969, the Rebbe delivered his own Maimur based upon the Maimur of his father-in-law, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak of Lubavitch, of 1929. That mimer is a long and detailed mimer and deserves to be studied in its entirety. However, this class will only focus on a few points of that mimer. Now, what is the mimer beginning with? So here it is. In the Book of Prophets, Shoftim, the prophet states, chapter 5, verse 11, and I'm going to read it to you. Instead of the noise of adversaries between the places of drawing water, there they will tell the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts of restoring open cities in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the cities. Okay, that is the verse. Now upon the words of the verse, the righteous acts of restoring open cities in Israel, the Talmud teaches in Tractic Psachim, page 87, side B. And I quote, Rabbi Oshia, I have a link in the notes to give you a little of historical background, the biography of Rabbi Oshia. Rabbi Oshia said, what is the meaning of that which is written, the righteous acts of the Lord, Pirzono, we're soon going to see, in Israel. The Holy One, blessed be he, performed a charitable deed toward Israel in that he scattered them. That's what the word Pirzono, Pizrono means, among the nations. Rashi explains what is the great kindness and righteousness of the God 
of God that he scattered us amongst the nations when we went into exile, he writes that they not be destroyed at once. Okay, let's understand what's going on here. So, number one, the teaching of the Talmud is based upon the play of two Hebrew words that are very similar. Pirzono, the R before the Z, or Pizrono, the Z before the R. Now, the word Pirzono is the actual word that's used in the verse. And Pirzono means open cities. Now, what the verse is telling us, that originally it was very insecure and the Jews were being attacked by their enemies. When they went to carry water, to bring water to their homes, the water carriers would be shot at with arrows of the enemies. And the prophet's telling us that this is going to change so dramatically and so drastically that the Jews are going to be so secure and so safe, they'll be able to live in open cities, which means they won't need the security of the city being walled in. That's what the simple verse is telling us. However, comes along Rabbi Oshia, and he says that we're going to replace the word pirzono with the word pizrono. And pizrono means to be scattered about. Now, I just want to share with you that in homiletical teachings, this is a normal practice to replace one word with a similar word and to extrapolate a meaning from it. Now, now that we understand what is going on, we understand that the two meanings, that which the verse says, pizrono, and that which Rabbi Oshia says, pizrono, are two opposite teachings. The verse is talking about when we'll be in Israel so safe and so secure, we'll have prazot, we'll have open-walled cities. While Rabbi Oshia is talking about the exact opposite, in the time of exile, we will be scattered forth amongst all the nations and not just amongst one nation. Okay, now that we understand the introduction of what the Mimer is talking about, I want to share with you that the Mimer is going to connect what these two seemingly antithetical teachings have in connection with each other. Okay, as you know, we always uh, start with a list of the mystical concepts that we're going to talk about before we get back to the practicality of our modern day issue. So here are the issues we're going, here are the concepts we're going to talk about here. And first, number one, what is Rashi telling us when he says that the righteousness of being scattered is, quote unquote, that they not be destroyed at once? Number two, what is the mystical concept of building boundaries? Number three, what is the mystical concept of gathering distant sparks? Number four, what does it mean being brought to our sparks? And then lastly, what does it mean to be mefazer, to diffuse wealth and to squander? And let the amazement of Hasidus begin. So, number one, what is Rashi telling us when he says that they that the righteousness of God is that by scattering us under amongst many nations that we not be under one tyrant, we won't face annihilation? What is the deeper mystical meaning of that? And the deeper mystical meaning is not only that we won't be annihilated, God forbid, physically, but that we won't be annihilated spiritually. That's what the mystical teachings are learning of Rashi's teachings that through scattering us that we not be under one tyrant or one state of being persecution or liberty whichever it may be the fact that none of us are 
under the same situation, but under different, many different situations, is what protects us spiritually, that not any one of the Jewish people will be spiritually destroyed. Now, what does that mean? So let's understand this. When the Jewish people, a group of Jewish people, are living under a regime which is persecuting them that they're not allowed to study Torah, they're not allowed to do mitzvot. So the concept of other Jews being in a free land, being able to study Torah freely, and being able to do mitzvot freely, by them actually studying Torah and actually doing mitzvot, they empower the Jews who are living under the tyranny and persecution and spiritual and religious persecution to have the self-sacrifice and to study Torah and to do mitzvot in hiding regardless of the danger that places in them. These Jews in the free land studying Torah and doing mitzvot empowers these Jews that are living under tyranny and religious persecution to be able to have self-sacrifice and study Torah and mitzvot and do mitzvot. On the other hand, once these Jews have the self-sacrifice to under religious persecution, nevertheless study Torah, teach Torah, do mitzvot, the self-sacrifice of these Jews now in return empower these Jews to have a different type of self-sacrifice. The self-sacrifice to overcome temptation, to overcome the, the temptation of assimilation, the temptation of intellectual ego or emotional ego, which hinders their own Torah study and their own mitzvah observance. Thus, these Jews, and being in two different lands, are actually empowering each other with this which I am strong, I will empower you that you are weak, and that which you are strong, you will empower me in that which I am weak. That is the blessing and the righteousness of the God scattering us amongst the many different nations so that no Jew will be spiritually destroyed. And those who need the self-sacrifice to study Torah and to do mitzvot on the spiritual persecution will receive it from those who are studying Torah and doing mitzvot in the free land. And those that are doing mitzvot in the free land who are struggling with the temptation and smothering of assimilation, they are being empowered to have self-sacrifice to overcome their temptation by the self-sacrifices of those who are studying Torah and doing mitzvot in, under religious persecution. Now, I'm going to share with you something very interesting. I saw, I, I saw an answer of the Rebbe, of blessed memory, in which the Rebbe gives an explanation of his job description. What is a Rebbe's job description? And in that handwritten note, I saw a copy of it, I didn't see the original, in that, uh, I saw a copy of the actual handwriting. The Rebbe writes that the job of a Rebbe, his job is to connect the Jews, and over here the Rebbe goes on to give examples of Australia, America, Russia, with each other. Now what, what does that mean? What is that description? So if you remember in the opening, I spoke about how the souls of the Jewish people 
are just like we spoke about the the different branches, the part of the individual individuality and self dominance in the island of being a self of democracy and being part of one whole. So too, the souls of a generation go through the same process. They actually, on one hand, the soul is an individual, like I said, an entire universe unto itself. And on the other hand, it's part of one entire generation, which makes up one body. Now, when you look at a body and you look at the limbs and organs of a body, they actually are not one being, other than they happen to be connected to each other. When does the compilation of all these different limbs and organs turn into one being, it's only through the brain, the head. By the brain being connected, giving feeling, giving function to each one through the nervous system, to each one of the limbs and organs of the body, all of a sudden, the complexity and multiplicity of so many organs unite and become one body. So too it is spiritually. The, the Hebrew word rabbi, spelled with three letters, Resh, Bet, Yud, is an acronym for three words, Rosh B'nai Israel, the head of the children of Israel. And what that means is that the job of a Rebbe is to make sure that all these scattered different organs and limbs should unite to become one being empowering each other. And thus we fall back on what Haman says in the book of Esther concerning the Jewish people. Haman says like this. He says that the Jewish people are a people scattered amongst peoples, one people. And our sages say that over here we learn out the secret that what we really have to be is, even though we're scattered amongst all the peoples, we are one people because all the organs and the limbs of this one body called the Jewish nation, regardless of the fact that we're so different and we're so scattered through the job of a Rebbe, through the job of the brain and head, connecting all of them, one gives power to the other. With this being said, I want to go ahead and let's go on to the next point, the building of boundaries. Okay. So before we go further, the truth be said, this one concept that the entire Jewish people scattered amongst all peoples under all different situations, one under the temptation of assimilation and one under the persecution, religious persecution of death. These this scatteredness, because we're one, we give each other power. This, the people in the free land, giving through their Torah study and mitzvahs, the power to the people in the religious persecution to do Torah study and do mitzvot with self-sacrifice. And their self-sacrifice gives the power to the people in the free lands to overcome temptations of assimilation and only becoming secular and not holding on to tradition, Torah and mitzvot. This in itself, the relationship between the one and the whole, is enough to be an entire class. However, because the Rebbe goes on with such amazing teachings, in-depth teachings to understand even greater and far deeper 
the unity and individuality of each Jew as part of one whole nation by understanding the connection between the scattered and the open cities. Let's go further and understand the next concepts. The next concept is going to be the building of boundaries. So, let us understand. The verse that Rabbi Oshia built his entire teaching upon I want to go to the opening of that verse before he talks about the scattered or the open cities. Instead of the noise of adversaries between the places of drawing water. Now the actual word for adversaries in the Pasuk is mechatzetzim. Now mechatzetzim comes from the word chetz, which means the arrows of the adversaries. That as they were going to carry water, the adversaries were shooting arrows. However, you may recognize the word mechatzetzim from the word mechitza. You may know the word mechitza as the partition which separates the men from the women to, during the prayer services. So the word mechitza, actually mechatzetzim, can also mean boundaries, separating the boundaries. Thus, we're going to fall back on another teaching of the sages, besides the simple and the one of Rab Oshia, we're going to fall back on another teaching, on a book that documents the teachings of Elijah the prophet, Tana Develiyahu. In the book Tana Develiyahu, he says like this, that when it says the noise of adversaries, koil also means voice, not just noise. It means the voice of those who create the separate boundaries. And what does that mean? He says, we're talking about the voices of those who study Torah and they say on impure that it is impure and on pure they say that it is pure. Thus we're talking about the machitza, the machatzim. We're talking about the power of the voice of Torah studies that define the boundaries of that which is permissible and that which is prohibited to engage with in the world. Then he goes on, the teaching goes on to say another definition within the word mechitza itself, there's the word chatzitza, which also means separating. But the word chatzitza refers to when the law, concerning the laws of someone who has to purify himself in the mikvah or herself in the mikvah, the ritual bath. The law is that if there is a chatzitza, being that the entire body has to touch at one time the water, therefore, including here, has to all be submerged and nothing can be covered. It has to be open to be touched by the water. Thus, the law is that if there is a chatzitza, something separating, a blockage between the person and the water, then that is not kosher. For example, if someone has a scab on their body or their hair is knotted, the mikvah immersion is not kosher. They must first take off the scab and unknot their hair to be able to then go back into the mikvah to have a kosher immersion. Thus, we see that over here, when we talk about drawing boundaries, we're not just talking about drawing boundaries in the world around us in that which is permissible, pure, and that which is impure and prohibited to engage with. But first we're talking about to remove the chatzitza blockages between us and the purifying waters. 
Now, in the holy teachings, in that of the Maimonides, he says that the purifying waters also metaphorically mean the waters of knowledge of Torah. Thus, we're learning over here that we have to first have the removal of any arrogance, of chatzitza blockage, which stops the Torah teachings from permeating into us. Once we remove the chatzitza blockages between us, that means we could study Torah. We can be brilliant and know academically Torah. But there's ego blockage from allowing the Torah to totally permeate our paradigms and our spirituality and our emotions. Thus, first we have to remove those blockages, the word mechatzitzim from the word chatzitza. And then we have the power to go out and define the boundaries in the universe between that which is permissible, that which is prohibited. And by separating those boundaries, we then can use the permissible to connect with the godly sparks and elevate them. Which leads us to the next topic, which is all about the, the um, elevation and the ingathering of the godly sparks. So according to Kabbalah, this is the next concept. According to Kabbalah, we talk about the fallen sparks from the higher spiritual worlds of intense passion and chaos, which fell into our world of coldness, apathy, and orderliness in the sense of evolution from the clarity to the opaqueness of spirituality. Now, because we're talking about sparks of intensity, passion, chaos, they fell very low, very deep into the mundane, into the physical. Thus, our job is to go ahead and to find those sparks and to elevate them by using them in our service to God and our identity as Jews. Thus, when we place a mezuzah on a house, thus when we invite people to share our food, Thus, when we have a charity box in our house, thus when we pray and we use tefillin, what we're doing is we're gathering this, the godly sparks and this physicality of, our, of that which we have and come in contact to, to elevate the sparks into, back into the spirituality, to free them from their imprisonment in the physicality, which is opaque and screaming narcissism and egocentric, and by using them in the service to God, we free them and bring them back to the spirituality. Now, when we do that, we receive a gift. Because all of a sudden, our soul, by connecting with these sparks, will have absorbed an unprecedented intensity of passion in our own love and awe relationship with God. By doing this, we fulfill a Kabbalistic teaching which says that we're bringing infinite sparks into finite vessels. The unprecedented passion intensity of tohu, chaos, into our souls of tikkun, orderliness. Now, amongst these sparks, there are those that are distant and those that are more distant. Now, when it comes to distance, so we know that candlelight has a limit to how far the parameters of its illumination is. When we need to bring light to distance, we have to use a torch or even a bonfire. 
So therefore, we talk about the open cities. This is the mystical definition of the simple word of the verse, which refers to open cities. Open cities talks about having a state of being in Israel, which is such a brilliant bonfire of spirituality and light that it draws in the sparks from the distance, that they come on their own from the distance to Israel to be elevated. Now, the one of the extreme cases of this is in the times of King Solomon, where there was such peace and such spirituality that the sparks were coming to Israel to learn about Judaism, learn about the ways of God. The epitome of that of that concept is the story between Queen Sheba, the queen of Sheba, a faraway land, who came to King Solomon to learn from King Solomon about his wisdom, about the wisdom of the Torah, the perfect ways and beautiful, compassionate ways of mitzvot. And then she went back and converted her and her entire nation. Thus, when the verse is talking about the ultimate state of spirituality and light and peace, we're talking about open cities in which from Israel it's shining out, thus drawing in and in gathering all the godly sparks so that they may be elevated. Now, this is the righteous acts of restoring open cities in Israel. That the voice of the Mechatzim, the voice of the Torah studies, this concept of bringing beautiful spirituality into ourselves by elevating and bringing away the chatzitza blockage so that the Torah may become one with us, by doing mitzvot, elevating the godly sparks, drawing the infinite passionate light of tohu into the orderly lives of tikkun, that creates such a brilliance that the open cities is shining outwards, drawing in. However, this is in a time of clarity, spirituality, true, strong Jewish identity. However, in the time of spiritual darkness, confusion, in the time when we're not really having our Torah study, and if we are doing Torah study, it's so full of arrogance that there's the chatzitza blockage, and thus there isn't the true understanding and true clarity of the boundaries of which is pure and which is impure, and which we can elevate the sparks and which we can't. Thus, at that time when the light is not shining, it's not illuminating with such brilliance, we cannot remain in Israel and from there draw the sparks. Thus, here comes the second interpretation of Rab Oshia. Rab Oshia says that God has done a righteousness by scattering us amongst all the nations. There are sparks everywhere. And thus by dream, bringing some Jews to this land, some Jews to that land, some Jews were brought to the, to, to, from England to, to Australia, and some were brought, are in Russia, and some came to America. And through all the Jews being scattered about, what's happening is that God is doing us the kindness that being that we have not behaved as we should have, and therefore the light of our spiritual brilliance is not strong enough to draw the sparks in, so God brings us to the sparks, scattered us amongst the nations, bringing us to the sparks that awaits for us to elevate and to shine. 
And thus, now that we're close to the sparks, our spirituality doesn't have to be of such strong brilliance, but simply speaking, by living a decent Jewish life, by using our homes as Jewish beacons of light, feeding other people spiritually and physically, creating communities, having shuls that are open without any bias to all people. Through that, we're elevating the sparks that are right next to us now that we have been scattered amongst the nations. Thus, we're talking about even the greater level that even when we don't deserve and we can't ingather the sparks. Nevertheless, by simply being scattered amongst the nation, the sparks become within our reach, and we are able to bring forth the elevation of those sparks, thus empowering ourselves with the intensity of passion from the world of chaos, spiritual power, to absorb that, by elevating the sparks, which gives us the power now of self-sacrifice to become more of a mensch and a spiritual person. Now, this leads us to yet another final definition of the word that we're talking about. So we had the word pirzono, which is open cities in the times of Solomon, shining out, drawing in. Then we had, at the times of exile, when we weren't strong enough spiritually to ingather the sparks. Thus we have Pizrono, God scattered us, bringing all different Jews to different places of different sparks, each one being empowered to handle the sparks of that country, that people, that nation, where they would build shuls and yeshivas and spirituality and Jewish identity and do mitzvot. Now there's a third there's a third definition to the word pizrono, which comes from the word mefazer. Mefazer means to diffuse and to squander. I don't mean, God forbid, squandering as in being wasteful. I'm talking about the squandering that takes place when a king is engaged in a war, an existential war, he opens up all his deepest hidden treasures and squanders his treasures all for the front-line foot soldiers to be able to have the best weaponry to be able to conquer the war. So too, when the Jewish people are scattered in exile and they are waging a spiritual war, to elevate the godly sparks, to remove the opaqueness of narcissism, self-centeredness, and egocentric lives where everything is about me, 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 and to bring a transparency of selflessness, of theocentric, to bring the world to the state as the prophet Sephania says, and I quote, for then I will convert the peoples to a pure language that all of them call in the name of the Lord to worship him of one accord. For this war, God is not only prazot, open cities, not ono pizrono, scatter the Jews, bringing them to the sparks, but also mifazer. He's also squandering in great abundance to each and every one of us to have the power to fight this difficult spiritual war of Jewish identity in exile. This 
is what the verse is telling us. This is the connection between all the three different interpretations on that one word of the verse. Open cities, scattered, diffusing, and squandering. It's all about elevating the godly sparks and getting our job done so that we can all come back to Israel and live in global peace. In closing, in closing, we now understand the depth of the one individual while yet being of a greater whole. Each individual has his sparks to elevate individually through their own connection and empowerment from God. When any one of these individuals elevates their individual fallen sparks of intense chaotic passion, this empowers each and every Jew because we're one body. Wherever they may be struggling with the need of self-sacrifice in their own lives, to now have the power of the unprecedented intensity of the infinite passion of the falling spark, fallen sparks to have the self-sacrifice to overcome the temptation of assimilation, secularization, and the melting pot, to overcome the self-sacrifice, that to have the self-sacrifice needed to overcome in places of religious persecution, to study the Torah and do the mitzvot. And especially, and specifically, by being scattered into exile amongst the nation to gather the sparks, we bring forth the diffusion and the squandering of the deepest treasures of God, that the treasures be brought to us and absorbed by us, all of this leading to a promise of God, as the verse says, and you shall be gathered one by one, O children of Israel. I did this in closing, but we still got to get practical. On a practical note, please, this is really important. On a practical note, the lesson here is that no one of us were meant to be able to do it all by ourselves. It is primary that we learn to ask for help and act as part of a greater whole meant to function together as one, helping each other in the areas that we are strong and the others are weak and accepting help from those who are strong in areas that we are weak. Get over the shame. We are part of one body. Every organ was not meant to produce all the functions of a body, rather to work as one part of a one greater being. Thus, give help and ask for help. Yes, we are individuals with our own strengths and weaknesses. And for this, we are all part of one greater whole, completing each other. Thus, we must do two things. A. Learn to ask for and be willing to receive help from others. And B, learn to give help to others without fear that it will create less for ourselves. Thank you very much.